also for undergrad, I studied uh, economics at Wichita State. And in a couple of my different business classes, uh, the professors taught us about internal and external locus of control. And they said that the best leaders, the best business leaders had an internal locus of control. Not a locust like the bug, but locus. It's a term that refers to the extent which individuals perceive control over their lives. So it asks the question, do you have the ability to impact the world around you primarily, or are you primarily impacted by the world around you? An internal locus of control would say, from within me, I have the ability to affect change. An external would say, I'm more changed by the things external to me, the things that are happening around me. And my professor said, internal, people with the internal locus of control, they tend to be the better leaders because, you know, in order for things to change, you've got to make it happen. And so I kind of want to examine, we're, we're, we're going through a, a, a series on people skills, and today I want to examine attitude out of the book of Philippians, which is the same thing we did last week. But today we're going to, we're going to look at the biblical model for responsibility and then the things outside of our control. What do we control? What can't we control? And so turn uh, to the book of Philippians. There should be a Bible in front of you or you probably have an app on your phone. We're going to be in chapters 1 and chapters 3. So chapter 1 of Philippians and chapter 3 of Philippians. And as I mentioned during announcements, we're doing a series that's titled People Skills. And we're doing this series because in order to be a church who makes disciples, who make disciples, we've just absolutely got to have people skills. Because making disciples, as Jesus did it and as he taught us to do it, it's a relational work. It requires interacting with people. It's not a program, it's personal. So Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And Paul said to Timothy, the things that you've heard from me entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So discipleship is an incredibly personal thing. You have to receive and give from people and to people and oftentimes at the same time. We're, we're giving and we're receiving. And so we've got to be able to relate to people well. People skills I typically think of it as knowing when to talk, what to say, and uh, what not to say, and when to say it, and how to say it, but it involves a lot more than that. It involves who you are and who you're becoming. So to kind of give an overview to those who are just visiting, uh, or to catch up to speed those who have been here and have slept since the last time you, you've been here, um, here, here's what we've looked at so far with people skills. We've looked at identity. Who are you? And what makes you who you are? Those questions are best answered by embracing who God says you are, finding your identity in Christ. And then last week, we looked at attitude, and we compared a, a good attitude according to the world, you know, like, don't think negative thoughts and think positive thoughts. We compared a good attitude to what is God's attitude? Because the verse that we all recited together said, as, as a believer, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So we're comparing good attitude in the world's eyes to God's attitude. 
And we're going to continue that today in the book of Philippians. And the, the good attitude that we're going to examine today and say, okay, uh, are these things true? And if so, how? If not, where have they missed it? Are two common phrases regarding attitude that uh, people throw around. You've probably heard these cliches. One is attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. The other is everything happens for a reason, right? These are both cliches and, and phrases that are related to our attitude. And, and even more specifically, I think one is related to an attitude of internal locus of control and the other is related to external locus of control. So let's start with the phrase, attitude is everything. And, and wh when I hear that, I think internal locus of control because if attitude is everything and I can control my attitude, I can control everything, or at least everything that matters, right? So let's, let's consider this phrase, attitude is everything. Is this biblical? Would God agree with this? Is a good attitude, is, is this also God's attitude? Well, let's look at Philippians 3, verse 15. It says, all of us who are perfect or mature, depending on your translation, should have this attitude. Well, what's, what's this attitude? We have to go back to verse 7. So let's read verse 7 through 16 to find out what the, what the attitude of a mature or perfect person is. What is God's attitude? Paul writes in verse 7, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider all those things rubbish, which is trash, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of Christ's resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in Christ's sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then verse 15, he says, all of us who are perfect should have this attitude. And if on some point you have a different attitude, that too God will make clear to you. Then he ends in verse 16, only let us live up to what we've already attained. So to summarize this section, the mature, the, the, the perfect attitude is this. It's not attitude is everything. It says attitude is important, but what's everything is Christ. And so I want to keep growing in Christ at all costs. That's the mature attitude. I want to keep growing no matter what it takes. I want to know Christ, whether that means sharing in his sufferings or sharing in his resurrection. And, and, and part of this attitude is, is an acknowledgement that I have, I've always got room to grow in this life. Not that I've attained all this, but I press on to take hold of that 
for which Christ took hold of me. So we see a, a perfect attitude, a mature attitude, is actually not about perfection for, for me, or it's not about looking around and being like, oh, they, they look so perfect. They look like it's, they look, they're a picture of perfection. No, a perfect attitude is about the perfect one. It's not about perfection. It's about direction towards the perfect one, towards Christ, towards knowing him more and more. And so an application of this is simply to take ownership of your faith. I mean, invest time and energy towards knowing Christ and deepening that relationship with him. And if you have questions that are kind of hanging you up right now in the faith, or if you have questions that are keeping you from surrendering your life to Jesus, get those questions answered. I mean, move towards that. So Christ took hold of us for relationship. And so the application for us is we should be exerting every effort, whether that's at work, with our family, in our leisure time, to take hold of him for relationship. Christ is everything. Attitude isn't everything. Attitude's important, but Christ is everything not attitude. And so let's, let's look at another, uh, the other cliche, which is everything happens for a reason. No matter how much someone is, you know, internally driven and on the internal locus of control of that spectrum, there are some things that you just cannot control in your life. It's for all of us. There are things that are outside of our control. And so, I think a good attitude from, from what I've heard and kind of seen around me, a good attitude in the world's eyes with the things that you can't control is, well, just know everything happens for a reason. You know, just believe that. Well, is that biblical? Because I think that's kind of vague. Like, do you get to decide the reason? Or do I get to decide the reason? Or is the reason just a mystery? The biblical answer is that everything does happen for a reason, and the reason is God's glory. But it doesn't remain nebulous like that. Over time, we can see often, not always, but often specific ways that God is being glorified through our situation. For example, Philippians. Paul was writing this letter to a church as he was imprisoned for the gospel. He was put into prison, but look what he says in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Everything has happened for a reason, and it's to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So again, everything happens for a reason, and the reason is God's glory. So since that's the case, and life is all about God, and God's going to be glorified in life, how should we live? Should we just sit on our hands and be, you know, external locus of control, and I just don't want to get in the way, because no matter what I do, you know, God's going to be glorified. Paul would very strongly disagree with that approach. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Ben, I thought the gospel was free. How, 
What do you mean worthy of the gospel? Well, let's see what Paul meant. We're going to have to back up. Back up to verse 21. And let's see what Paul meant by living and conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that, since I'm remaining with you, through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus is going to overflow on account of me. So, what this means is we choose fruitful labor while we look forward to death. We do look forward to death and we look forward to being made perfect and not struggling anymore and being in the presence of Jesus. But right now we choose fruitful labor for the, for the good of the people around us. That's how God is glorified in our life. We choose fruitful labor for the good of the people around us. And fruitful labor, according to Paul in this passage, it means working labor towards other people's progress, towards other people's joy in Jesus. Not just that they feel good, but that they're actually at a good place in their relationship with God. They're actually growing. They actually know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's what it means to live well and to die well. And this doesn't always feel good, fruitful labor. It doesn't always feel good. So for example, last week, I, was, uh, I found myself expressing a frustration of mine to a few friends. And my frustration was, why have I been, uh, or why have my recent events, uh, attempts at evangelism, why have they been so futile? Why have I seen so little progress in the lives of the people that I'm trying to share my faith with? And my friend reminded me that God is sovereign, basically that God is working even in things that you can't see or control, Ben. And that's true. I can't control their response. That's outside of my control. But I can control if I share and how I share. So I need to stay faithful, keep praying for people, keep looking for opportunities, and keep sharing Christ. So all I'm really trying to communicate today is that attitude is really like a posture or a position. And in, in fact, the word attitude, it, it comes from the idea of a, a statue being positioned a certain way. And so the question we're considering is, should our posture, should our attitude be one of internal locus of control where we white knuckle it I mean, we just do everything we can to make life work out the way that we want it to? Or should our posture be external locus of control? We're, we're just kind of, you know, we're affected by what happens around us. We're sitting on our hands. I think the biblical posture is hands open, <laughs> legs ready <laughs> to receive. And carry what God gives you to carry whether it's singleness, raising one kid, 
raising two kids, looking for a job, working a job that's frustrating. Carry whatever God's given you to carry for this time. And you receive it from God. We don't choose responsibility for ourselves. God defines responsibility for us. The gospel is not just internal locus of control. You're responsible. Take care of it. It's not just external locus of control. God's sovereign. Don't worry about anything. It's both. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And it also says, in love God chose you before the creation of the world to be his adopted child. So it says, we have a responsibility. Choose, believe. It also says, God is sovereign. He chose you before you had a choice as you know it. It's both. And so if you haven't, I just want to invite you, if you haven't made that choice today, why not? Why not? What's, what's your hang-up? Talk to God about what's your hang-up. And talk to other people that you know and trust. And if you don't know anyone else here, you can talk to me and I'll listen, because after talking for so long, I'm ready to listen. But if you're ready, just tell God that you're a sinner, that you believe Jesus died on the cross and conquered your sin, that he was raised back to life so you can follow him. He's alive. Tell him that you want him to be your king. And this week, as I was studying internal and external locus of control, I, I noticed that people's well-being, so the way that they rated their own happiness, it was the greatest when they were living in the tension. They weren't just internal locus of control. They weren't just extremely external but they acknowledged, I'm responsible for some things, and there are some things that I'm not responsible for, the things that are out of my control. I think that's the way that God made us, to live under his sovereignty. And Jesus demonstrates this, this, this balance, living in the tension. In Philippians 2, Paul writes that even though Jesus was in very nature God, who has complete control over everything, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he didn't exercise his right to complete control. Instead, Jesus became one of us. Part of being human is having an external locus of control. There are some things that we just c can't control. And that resulted in the glory of God being shown. Jesus being fully God and fully man resulted in the glory of God. So our life with Christ really involves both internal and external locus of control. Not white-knuckling situations, not sitting on our hands, but it's Deuteronomy 29, 29. Acknowledging that there are some things that belong to the Lord our God. They belong to him alone. But the things that he's shown us, the things that he's given us, they're for us and for our kids so that we can follow all the words of this law. God has revealed to us our responsibility. And he's made us responsible, able to respond. We have some control because God has ultimate control and he's given us some measure of control. And so in order to know the difference, what we're responsible for and what we're not, we've got to rely on him. Not looking to ourselves for help, 
but crying out to God, God, would you help us? We can't love each other well. We can't know who you're calling us to invest in, primarily, secondarily, without you shaping our attitude. We need to turn to you to know how to live. So let's pray and just cry out to God and be ready to receive clarity from him as we pursue knowing and loving him. Father, I pray that you'd help me grow in loving people well. That when I act, when I do things, I would trust you as this is me doing my part, what you've asked of me. Pray that I'd be faithful and also trust you with the things I can't control, like how people respond. None of us can muster up the attitude of Christ. We have to turn to Christ to be taught in the ways of his attitude.